A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I have a really fun guest with me today. I've got Tom Jordan. Tom Jordan, um, yeah, I think of Tom as, as, as a bit of a celebrity. Uh, Tom's been in the, the news and journalistic world for a while, both on TV and radio. Um, we joke most of the time with, with radio. We say people are on radio because they've got a face for radio, but jo- Tom's got a face for TV as well. So, uh, so anyway, welcome, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's good to be here. I'm not sure about the face for television. I think that's why I'm in radio now, <laughs> but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you've had a you've had a really interesting history, though. Yeah, I mean, your path. I mean, you, you don't just become a successful uh, broadcaster just you know just out of the blue. Well, maybe some people do, I guess. But 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 most most of us have to work for a living to get to where we are. And um, I, you've got some great stories in your past. I'd, I'd love to to you, I'd love to have you share some of your story with the audience. Yeah, I'd love to share them. You know, I would like to say, though, touching on people becoming an instant success, that's often what the public sees, but they don't they don't have the perspective or uh, the I guess the the understanding of what it took someone to get to that point. And I remember being a, a young uh, up and coming, a uh, you know, journalistic, hopeful kind of guy in my early twenties. And there were a lot of people I was going to school with who thought I'm going to be a news anchor and they wouldn't put in the work to even understanding how to write a story. Wow. And they just thought they were just going to get in front of the camera. They were going to be so good and people are going to love them instantaneously that they were going to become instantly successful. And no, it's, it's a lot of years of understanding the craft of journalism, making sure you build that up, understanding the language, understanding communications, understanding why journalism is a different style of writing than, say, you know, a narrative or an essay, or if you're writing a novel, it's completely different. And understanding the tenets of journalism and then applying that and then, of course, working on that craft over periods of time. So I, I uh, loved, thankfully, the craft of journalism, writing, which is the backbone of anything you do in this industry. It's whether it's television, radio, newspaper, now uh, web, whatever it is. So yeah, I started off um, really loving and respecting the craft. I liked the idea of having to be kind of factual and truthful and people holding you to account if you got a fact incorrect. And there was there was a little bit of a price to pay if that was the case back then. And it's changed quite a bit now <laughs> uh, with the advent of social media and maybe 24-hour network uh, newscasts, which are more opinion in nature. But so my, my start got, I was off in San Diego, California, my hometown, born and raised. And I uh, grew up uh, reading newspapers, watching television news, and didn't think I'd ever had the opportunity or the uh, honor of doing it for a living, but it was my goal and uh, almost didn't do it. Uh, and then I thought, no, I'm going for it. I'm going to do it. And I thankfully was able to succeed. So what did, what did you almost do? What, what were you? So, so, I mean, you've had this interest since you were a kid. Yeah. I didn't realize I had the interest. I mean, I knew I was interested in it, but doing it actually like me actually becoming a television news anchor or a reporter or a radio news anchor. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't see the pathway to that. I just knew I enjoyed it. And then as I got older, about 18 years old, I thought, yeah, this is something I think I'd like to give it a shot. So I started looking into it. And 
wow, what, lo and behold, there was an opportunity to maybe try, even though I was, I was warned by people, you know, it's highly competitive. Don't even try to get in it. The chance of success is so slim. And those voices, as I got married and had a kid very young, I was 21 when I had my, my first child, I thought, uh, maybe I should be more realistic. And I was interested in medicine. So I looked at the medical route and um, I started taking all my prerequisites for, uh, I was going to become a physical therapist. That was one of the things I was looking into. I was going to, not a doctor, but physical therapy. And uh, the more I got into it, I thought, yeah, I, I like this. I like the idea of caring for people. And I had a genuine interest, but what did I really want to do? That wouldn't feel like work, even though it was. And my wife and I talked about it. And she agreed, go for it. <laughs> so I have a great wife who was very uh, patient with me. So I went back and changed my major for a number of a number of times. I've changed it and uh, went back into journalism uh, and uh, went for it. And I got a job. Excellent. It sounds like we've got another guest on the show this uh, this morning. Thus, I apologize. The, the power the power of Zoom meetings. I mean, this is <laughs> this is this is how, how it all works these days. I mean, we're we're all broadcasting remotely and and hopefully back in the studios sometime soon. So, what was your first job? So 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 as you decided to pursue it, I mean, again, you know, hard work and everything. You don't become head anchor as your first job. I mean, you have to prove yourself. So, what was it? Yeah, you have to you have to pay the price a little bit. So uh, pay your dues, they say. I was in San Diego, California. I got a job offer in a little town called Kennewick, Washington. It's on the uh, the east side of Washington State, and it was as a reporter. The offer was fifteen thousand five hundred dollars a year. And, and what uh, year was that? That was in uh, what was it? Nineteen ninety eight. I don't want to date you a little bit, but 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 even then, that wasn't much money. <laughs> Oh, no, it was definitely less than I was making uh, carrying luggage uh, as a bellman at the Hotel Del Coronado. But it was a foot in the door, and it was exceedingly rare, and I I knew it. So I was exceedingly grateful for that opportunity. So I went up there and worked my tail off. Um, I was a reporter, and it was funny because they said, oh, by the way, when you come up here, our main meteorologist, the weatherman, he's going to be on vacation. So right when you get up here, you'll be doing weather for two weeks uh, on the evening newscasts. And and then we'll put you in the role of a reporter. And I'm thinking, okay, but I thought I've never done weather. Who am I? I don't know meteorology. And so that's how it was in these tidy markets. And so I went in there so incredibly nervous, thinking these people are going to see right through me. This guy does not know what he's talking about. It turns out that if you say things with uh, emphasis and with authority in your voice, um, you people will believe what you say. And, you know, the proof will be in the pudding the next day. Yeah. If, the, if the forecast turns out what you said it was, which often with me, it did not. Well, yeah, but that's but, weather, right? I mean, what, what other job in the world could be wrong 50% of the time and, and still be considered a success? And that was in my head. I thought, hey, listen, the guys I watched in San Diego, they're often wrong. If you could be wrong in San Diego, where it's probably the easiest job to be a new uh, a forecaster with common, uh, I think, probably an average temperature of 72 degrees and sunny skies, uh, and people would get that wrong. So if I would go up to Washington State, get the forecast wrong, I figured there's going to be some forgiveness because it's kind of built into the expectations, what people have. So I kind of played with that a little bit, tried to be accurate, but I am no meteorologist. 
And uh, I knew that a few others knew it, but thankfully most others did not. <laughs> I could just see it. The weatherman, Tom, you know, I just, I just have this image. And so, so boom, right on camera, right away. I mean, you didn't even start as a gopher. I mean, it was just, you're right in. Yeah. And it was a real studio. It was a real TV outlet. It was an NBC affiliate. So there, for me, as my first time out, it was a bit intimidating, uh, but it was a very good lesson about fear um, the, the kind of fears that we build up in our own minds. And for me, it was the kind of fear that because I had been an average news consumer and I knew what my expectations were of newscasters who I thought they were, that somehow they were far above me and my abilities to do now what I was being asked to do. Um, it was a fear I had built up in my own head. And what I had to learn is to trust my own preparation. So I, I prepared, but still because of my own ideas and my own notion of what I was supposed to be like, uh, that fear did hinder me a little bit, but I learned to overcome those false conceptions of what I am supposed to be rather than on what I believe my training and my uh, otherwise preparation was in and of itself creating me to be. So I learned to rely, I learned a couple of things, prepare. If you want to get over even some fears of failure, or you want to develop a sense of confidence within your own self, preparation is absolutely key to all of that. So yeah, I wasn't prepared to be a meteorologist, nor was that what I was training for, but I I tried to prepare myself as best I could to become a reporter. So in my mind, uh, I had a very high expectation of what that was, which gave me a lot of fear, a little bit of anxiety, which led me to resolve that anxiety by preparing, studying, reading a lot of news articles, make sure I understand the issues in my own head. I, I need to understand every single day, what I was about to go report on. And it was, I remember sitting there in, in Kennewick, Washington is, is part of a tri city area. And, uh, there is, there is in that region, there was a nuclear waste site known as Hanford. And it was something that they've spent decades cleaning up, <laughs> uh, when they shut it down, I believe they shut it down in the eighties. And I think it was partially used for the Manhattan Project, all these different mm -hmm. programs. But so I was there uh, and I had to go, this young cub, if you want to call it a reporter, covering these very complex issues, scientific issues and how to clean things up. And I didn't know anything about this. So when, when you're at a news conference at 1 p.m. and you have a 5 p.m. newscast, and you have to translate exactly what these scientists are saying and put it down on paper and then in your own head and then write stories on it, edit video that goes to, I, I was, I remember feeling highly intimidated. So I had to really, really dig deep, take out the portions I understood and communicate those and ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. It served me well, I think that, uh, that kind of concept in my head that, even if you're on television or it's, it's not this whole idea, you're going to stand in front of a camera and you're just going to talk. You have to know what you're talking about. And yeah. that's, that's a key aspect of communication. I think whatever industry you're in, make sure it's clear in your own head before you start to communicate it to your colleagues or your subordinates or your managers or whoever your audience is.
Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think sometimes when 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 I watch the evening news and and you know I've got a lot of friends who've 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 been broadcasters over the years and so I've I've always had a little bit more insight to it. But it's amazing how often I think when talking to friends and stuff, people I think almost assume that you guys are just up there reading from cue cards. Yeah. And um, it may be at some point when you're you know the 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 big name on one of the big networks. You might be doing that to some degree because you've got a crew of people who are doing it. But but I think anything before that, you you have to do all that legwork. You are writing your own stories. You are doing your. Did you have to at that point? Did you have to go find your stories, or were they giving you, giving you assignments? Oh no, you you had to be up and up. You had to a, a lot of the time, um, especially early on. You had to find your own stories. Now there were standard like that for the example I just gave on the Hanford nuclear site. And that was a press conference, excuse me, a press conference that had been already organized. So they sent those out to different news organizations. And so that day, uh, that was an assignment. Uh, but frequently you would come in with, had to have your own ideas and, and pitch them to uh, news managers, news directors, executive producers. And they would say, okay, go ahead and go for it. But you were expected to have uh, some ideas when you walk into that newsroom. And yeah, you're right. There, there is an assumption that these reporters who are standing in front of television cameras are reading someone else's writing. And I always thought, well, if that was the case, who's doing the writing? You know, there's got to always be somebody who understands those issues. Yeah. Um, so no, it's, it's definitely the reporters. They have, they get some assistance. Uh, there's sometimes there are field report uh, producers, but that's rare. And most of it is ad lib. And when I say ad lib, when I use the word ad lib, I also carry with it the caveat there's there's no such thing as ad lib. Right. Because remember, preparation is key. So when you're doing a live shot on a television newscast or in a radio newscast, you're heavily prepared before you go into that. Um, it's ad lib and only in the sense that you don't have a teleprompter necessarily, but you definitely have a deep understanding, hopefully, of what's going on. Yeah, and so... Um you know, here, here's a question I thought about. Is, so when you talk about coming in with ideas, um, I remember hearing a story for you know one of the one of the shows, like maybe it was SNL or something like that. But they talked about how you know early in the week of preparation, the, all these ideas would get pitched, and all the writers were like in competition with each other. Not everybody gets something on the show that week, and longer term success actually you know breeds later success for them. Were, were you ever in competition with your with your reports with other reporters? Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I think we worked fairly well as a team. Yes, there have been times. I'm, I'm thinking of a few now where we've we had a few arguments about. I, there was one situation where I ended up moving ahead on a story that someone else in the newsroom was also moving ahead on with the same contacts, the same interview subject, huh. and we were both pretty angry about it. And we were angry at each other, but we were also angry at the person who's, who'd pitched the whole story idea. It was on, um, it had to do with uh, the uh, defibrillators. A uh, defri new defibrillator was coming out that would help, you know, save people's lives. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we got into a bit of a heated discussion in our newsroom about, well, I've already set up the interview. I've already done the interview. Well, I've done it as well. Who's going to do the story? And there was a lack of communication. But we were also kind of duped. Because the public relations company that was pitching the story to us knew that we were both doing the story and the public relations company thought they were going to get basically to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. 
So they're going to get double the airtime. No, <laughs> that's not how it works. We don't do the same story with the same interview subject on the same newscast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've got valuable time for that. Uh, we're, we're already up on our first break. So um, everybody stay tuned. We're going to continue this conversation with Tom Jordan as soon as we get back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Tom Jordan. Tom, these have been some great stories, and I want to kind of continue to explore. One of the things that, 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 that I love that you're illustrating, and I think it's important for people to understand, is success doesn't come without hard work. Success doesn't come without preparation. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, there are examples out there in the business world and in the world today where somebody starts an app or whatever and they have immediate success, but that's like winning the lottery. That doesn't happen that often. Most of us have to work really, really hard and have to to, to do the 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 crappy work, if I can say that, to kind of climb the ladder. And success will come from the hard work, but success doesn't always happen on its own. There's, there's often failures along the way, right? And so we're still talking about your first TV station. I mean, I want to hear about your evolution to where you are today soon, but, but what were some of the, you, I'd love to hear a funny story, a good story or two of, 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 of a failure that you learned from that, that really helped you kind of move yourself forward. Yeah, well, early on in those early years, there's so many things that we had to learn. And one of them was just simply speaking uh, off the cuff, so to speak. And that could be intimidating for one, which adds a little bit of nervousness to the mix. Um, but it's also difficult when you have a time limit. So in television news, you're, you had about a, uh, about a minute 10 time limit to get everything out there, your whole story. So the tendency is to feel rushed. And when you feel rushed, you tend to mix, uh, mess up a little bit. So one of the things I had to learn was just to, to speak with clarity in my own mind, not to rush myself, but just to time things out into that, you know, 70 second uh, format to make sure I met the time constraints and that I got the information out there. But because I was new and green, I was rushing, I was nervous. And so you just had to uh, expect that there were going to be a number of moments where you were going to flub. You're going to make a lot of mistakes in the way you speak 
and try not to let that mess you up because if you do that, then you, you go blank. You know, so there's all these things that you might have just uh, kind of categorized as stage fright. You know, yeah. you, people tell you, okay, you're going to be speaking to a camera, but they're about, I don't know, a quarter of a million people watching you right now. That could be intimidating, especially <laughs> for a young guy. So um, getting over that was important just to learn to talk to an individual like you and I are speaking right now. This is what we are doing and people are, we're also speaking to a broader audience. We know that we have to make sure that what we're saying applies to them. So they'll still, they'll get something out of our discussion, but I'm just speaking to you right now, Chris. So and you're speaking to me and, and that's what people want to be a part of is that kind of a conversation. So learning that was important, uh, but there's all sorts of, of mistakes. Um, I've, I've, I was filling in for, you know, the small station I mentioned I was working for. Uh, one day they say, hey, you're going to do sports today because the sports guy called in sick. Well, I'm not a sports guy. I love sports. I like going to games. But I don't know, I don't know statistics and whatnot. I'm not that kind of an in-depth person. So I had to fill in for sports one day. And there was so much information. that You talk about people not understanding the preparation that goes into something. Yeah. That's, that's uh, particularly true with sports casters. I remember Dick Enberg. People were describing Dick Enberg, the, the famous sportscaster involved in many Olympics, play-by-play mm-hmm. guy, and they, they described him as one of the most, one of the hardest workers in sports. And I used to hear that thing. What are you talking about? He's at a game. How is that hard? It is hard when you realize the hours and hours and hours of preparation to make sure you get the numbers correct. The the person correct on the team and the, and things move so quickly and it is like almost a science. It's scientific in a sense, the kind of uh, the, the way your brain has to think and accumulate information and then spit it out and make sure that it actually, that people care. Yeah. You present it in such a way that people actually care about all these stats and data. So I, I did a sports cast one time and I saw, I was so nervous and I was, I was doing the sports cast. I was up there on the big desk with all the anchors and the weather people, all this, you know, big teeth with million dollar smiles. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to walk off the set, go to what they call the chroma key wall, do the sports cast from there, walk back to the set and when I did, there wasn't a chair there for me. There, it was a big mess. I was utterly confused. I stopped in my tracks on the air. Where's the chair? And I started talking to these people uh, at the set, asking for a chair. And they came back. I ended up having to sit on my knees. And when we ran out of videotape, they had to take me live. There were the three uh, anchors, mm-hmm. the, the male, the female. The, and then because I was on my knees, I was down to this. And my head was barely barely peeking above the desk. <laughs> and and uh, it just, it, it was a very, very, very funny moment at my expense. And there were a lot of those types of situations. Um, another friend of mine is a weather guy. He, he, was, he was doing weather. Uh, this is for the NBC station uh, in a later later job, and he had gone to a, a restaurant, local steakhouse, mm-hmm. and ordered something called the Bloomin' Onion. If you know what steakhouse I'm talking about, yeah. during dinner he came back and had some severe stomach issues, and had to go into his uh, forecast, and he had to run out because an accident was happening live on the air in his own. Uh, his own pants, basically, just to put it not so nicely, but it was it was dis- disastrous, as you can imagine. Oh my gosh! So, lots of issues. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the real pros are the ones that, that that do it without flinching. I can remember years ago, and I think that this is this is still out there somewhere. But 
um, some of our younger guests may not know, but 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 most of us will remember Howard Cosell, you know, the consummate sportscaster and especially boxing. And and you've, I'm sure you've seen the video. It's 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 been a viral video where he's you know he's he's out there and he's you know he's he's doing a report and he's outside. Um, I think it was maybe at one of the races, Kentucky Derby, probably or something like that. And for those of you who remember Howard, he had the worst toupee on TV. I you know I, it's it's like like nobody no he wasn't fooled anybody with that thing and he's out there doing his thing the wind blew the the toupee flew off his head and he kept going and did not miss a beat like nothing happened and i i think that's the ultimate pro yeah david bloom he passed away now but he was an nbc reporter doing a live uh, broadcast out in the field as reporters do and tom brokaw was the news anchor and david bloom was doing his thing with a stick mic and speaking as he was speaking i think it was uh there were, i think he was down in miami at the time yeah. and a large bug of some sort maybe it was a moth flew directly into his mouth as he was speaking live on the air and he did not miss a beat that thing was it was a large uh, animal flying animal flew into his mouth he just he finished out his report, you know, David Bloom, NBC News. And then he got off in the air, spit that thing out of his mouth. And But you wouldn't <laughs> even know uh, unless you were uh, very cl- closely watching the situation. So, yeah, yeah that's prof- that's professionalism. That's, that, that is. So so you mentioned the NBC channel. So, I mean, you didn't stay at that small channel, obviously, forever. I mean, so so no. you, you had success. Did you ever head anchor or, or what was your, your catalyst for move? Yeah, so what happened at that job, I was thankful that I, I was promoted to weekend anchor at that small station, and uh, that gave me some anchoring experience behind the desk. It's a different animal altogether, uh, so it was great. So I had a mix of reporting at that point and anchoring and producing and a lot of writing, which was backing it up. And So I, I really enjoyed both aspects of it, um, but frankly, I missed California. And at that point, I did. And I was young. You know, it was my first time moving out of state. And so my wife and I at the time thought, let's try to see if we can get a job back in California. So I applied at a few spots in Palm Springs, California, called me NBC affiliate there. It was called KMIR mm-hmm. in Palm Springs. And I thought, that sounds wonderful. So we accepted a job. And that was a main anchor job. At this, it's still a small station. But it was Monday through Friday, main anchor. And I was in Palm Springs for uh, about eight years. Loved it. Um, loved the experience. And there was a lot of lessons that needed to be learned through that as well. Um, yeah, and it, and it, but it allowed me to get my feet still wet, try to dry them off, and still a small market. Uh, multiple years of training. It really, for me, I don't know if I'm a slow learner, but it really required years of daily experience practice if you want to call it that but real world practice and i i i always say you know there's nothing that will train us more effectively than real world experience yeah you can see that in any aspect of life i mean take take a marriage for example yeah i think premaritable the premarital like counseling and those things are very very important but not until you jump in you, you know, you, you say your vows, you say, I will, and all those things that you get into the marriage and then you learn some lessons that you could not have learned any other way, but except for getting into it. And uh, for some of us, it takes us many years to understand what it looks like to be married to another human being. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with work. You know, it's a day in 
day out training experience. And if you have the mindset, which I did and I still do, that you're still learning your craft, you're still learning the the itty bitty things. Because every day is a new experience. There are, you know, life is this a day-by-day thing that we have to contend with sometimes that always presents at least some sort of unique circumstance. There are some things that are routine and you can get your experience in those, but the unique circumstances, just be ready for those and to address them as they come and learn, learn from them. Yeah. You know, a whole bunch comes to mind. I mean, when I, um, when I, when I first left, um, you know, big boy and decided to kind of go out on my own and, and, um, you know, start a, you know, consulting company is what it's become. I, I remember, you know, a friend of mine, um, guy by the name of Thomas Leonard, who at the time was considered, you know, one of the more, you know, um, I don't know, foundational coaches in the United States. See, it's kind of like one of the first guys that used the word coach in business and, and had an opportunity to meet with him and work with him before he passed away. And, he always said, he said, in order to become consider, in order to be considered an expert, it takes at least 10,000 hours of work in that field. And he said, it's, it, and that's it, not looking at, oh, you know, I, I worked a year, that's 2,000 hours if you figure a 40 hour week. He's talking actual time doing the work. So if you're educating yourself on the work, you're not doing the work. If you're doing your accounting, you're not doing the work. And so when you really take that into account, 10,000 hours almost translates to 10 years, hmm. right? I mean, on average, because there's probably, for most people, um, you know, there, there's a high percentage of time, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're starting something out, high percentage of your time, you're not actually in your work, you're in support services, you're doing other things, you're learning, you're creating, but you're not, you're not actually delivering. You've got to deliver to learn. And 10,000 hours... And that is an effort. And, and I, I look back at it and say, you know what? That was true. It, it was mm. true. I mean, yeah, I was getting clients a couple of years in, but, but it was about the 10-year point where I felt like, okay, people are starting to look, look to me as an expert. They're starting to come to me and all this kind of stuff. And your comment on you never stop learning is really, really important because, um, well, one, life gets boring. I don't think if we're growing. But two, the world does change way too fast today. We have to be up, we have to be adapting or the world leaves us behind. I've watched too many uh, friends of mine in consulting and consulting businesses who are practically out of business today because they haven't adopted to the times. And then you have events like COVID, which which shoves change on you you know, very, very quickly. A um, number of years ago, Larry Greiner wrote um, an article. I think he was with Harvard at the time. I don't, I don't remember exactly. It was, called, it was called something like Evolutions and Revolutions as Businesses Grow. But what he says in it basically is, is all companies will go through these stages where evolutionary change is good for a while, but then you hit this, this crisis point and it requires revolutionary change. Well, I think society works the same way. I think we go through periods of time in our lives where not a lot shifts, but then all of a sudden, crisis occurs and there's a significant shift to how we work and COVID is a great example of that. Oh, that was so wonderfully said. Everything you said there is true. And, and just speaking of the crises that come along, you know, it's, it's just said on, on a personal level, the average person, if you live the average lifespan, you're going to run into about five, maybe crises in your lifetime. And the same happens in business and in industry. I mean, there's uh, one of the, I think now overused phrases in business is disruptive. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be disruptive. And I used to kind of wonder, you know, you're forcing disruption and I get it, but disruption is going to happen to you 
when in a time that you're not really wanting it to happen, yes. I mean, disruption became this buzzword. Let's let's cause disruption. And essentially, what you're saying is, let's kind of break apart everything we know, ruin people's lives. Not that maybe that's a hyper, that's a bit of a hyperbole there, but ruin what we think is true, and almost push it aside and start again, or be become, you know, um, I don't know. I think revolution, the way you phrase it, was really good way to put it because sometimes revolution is required in the best use of that word it is to advance or it's forced upon us and i think you're right covid was a really good example we had to adapt let me look at you and i right now we'd probably be sitting side by side but we're doing this interview right now uh, in different locations covid we may have done this other way. I mean, these ex- these software programs existed prior to COVID, but they were not used to the level they are now, especially in media. Um, but we've adapted, and it's been good for certain companies, but um, others are still trying to, I think, uh, latch on to this. So growth is imperative. If you're not growing, if you're not learning, you're not you're not kind of just standing still. You're actually moving backwards. Yeah. So it, it's it's really important. It's well said. Yeah, it's funny you say that. And my my dad always had a saying. He said, "To stand still is retreat." Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because the world's always moving forward. And you know, <clears throat> I think what happens is when these revolutions occur, when these major shifts, these disruptions occur, you know, you can act like a victim and say, "This happened to me," or you could be accountable and say, "How can I utilize this? How can I move it forward?" I, I think smart companies have found ways. You know, like you said, you know, you know. Uh, you know, a year ago, you and I would sit in the same studio together and do this. Now we're doing it and we both live in the same city. But I just did an interview recently with somebody in Sydney, Australia, and that wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have yeah. happened before. You know, it's, it's like the world's a smaller place and um, how we travel, you know, all the stuff is going to be different. So um, that's not the only thing that's going to change, though. Ch- uh, journalism is changing and has been changing. Um, in some cases, you know, maybe for the worse, maybe in some cases for the better, but I want to explore that with you when we come back. So we've got to take another quick break. So everybody stay tuned because I think you're going to find this next segment going to be really, really interesting to get the insider's view on what's been going on in the journalist world and where things are going. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Group 
This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Tom Jordan. So, uh, Tom, before we get into some of the, the questions on journalism, I do want to bring you up to present, right? And so um, you were in Palm Springs, and I, I know you went on to San Diego, but what you shifted from TV to radio at some point. Yeah, uh, I spent about five years in San Diego. I was a television news anchor, loved it. San Diego, again, was my hometown, so I was thrilled to be back there. My wife and I, and we thought, we're home. We're going to stay here. We have a pretty much a guaranteed lifelong job if, if we want it. Uh, but we felt a tug uh, to get out of uh, California uh, for a number of reasons. I won't get into those now. But we, uh, I received this uh, great job offer in all places I never dreamed. Uh, uh, in fact, my wife said, Tom, I'll go anywhere in the country. The only place I'll never go is Detroit, Michigan. And we laughed about it. But sure enough, we got a call <laughs> from Detroit, Michigan. And uh, so she came out with me. And for the interview, we ended up thinking, this is a really great area. We never would have dreamt it. But Michigan is absolutely beautiful. And keep in mind, we came here for the interview in January. So it was wintertime, but we still thought this is a place where we can raise our kids. We could enjoy, you know, we had multiple kids after my first one when I was young. Um, And then um, we can enjoy and grow. And it was a radio job offer. It was the morning news anchor for a guy that had worked in that chair for 38 years prior to me. It was at WWJ in Detroit. And I thought, well, this will be another new growth experience, a new challenge. It's journalism. Yeah, um, it's, it's a bit of a shift for me. And I had to learn a lot. It, it was tough. You know, as we talk about growing in your career and lessons and daily experience, it, it comes with a bit of uh, difficulty. And that's good if you don't shrink to it if you don't shrink back. And there's yeah. going to be maybe some times of initial um, shrinking back in order for you to, to adapt and to learn maybe even some atrophy in your skills in order to kind of shake it up and get rid of the things, maybe the chaff a little bit and, and then kind of let the wheat grow, the, the good grain there in your career and your skills. And was it not, even re- at this point, was it scary? Because, I mean, you were coming in and, and I, I'm – don't know that I, I, I should say names, but I mean, I think Joe Donovan was the guy that you replaced, yeah. right? And Joe, yeah. like you said, he'd been there 30 years, and that was in the era where people were with radio for a long time. And we had uh, Joe Donovan and Roberta Jacina loved people in Detroit. Everybody loved them. Was that daunting at all? Yeah, uh, and I was made aware by certain colleagues that it should be daunting and you should be intimidated. And so you have to deal with those kind of factors, too. I can remember I I showed up and one of the guys I met in this newsroom, I was, you know, meeting some new people and my new colleagues. And one guy said to me, looked at me, shook my hand, goes, oh, you're Tom Jordan. He goes, ah, you've got some big shoes to fill. Yeah. And, and it was it was said in a kind of a tone of, yeah, I don't think you're going to succeed because do you know who it is who you're replacing? Now, Joe Donovan, he retired. And it was on his own. Of course, he was a legend, and I have a lot of respect for him. And they were big shoes to fill. And that was part of my growth. Okay, do I make myself try to be like him? Or do I, do I, do I cast my best self, version of myself, in there or do is there a hybrid i had a lot of questions going through my mind because he was such an icon so what so was, was the wrong. answer uh the answer is a uh, learn from him take the the best things about him joe donovan was a guy who was very well prepared uh he knew his craft 
he knew how to tell a good story. He knew how to keep the clock, you know, everything on time. Um, but he was well read. Uh, so those are things I I need needed to take. But but I would think I was trying to be Joe Donovan too much in the beginning because and I didn't I didn't know him personally. So I went on reputation, mm-hmm. and that to me was where I started to atrophy because remember. We have our own skill set. I had at that point about uh, 15 years in the news business. So I, I tended to kind of almost cast that experience away and try to learn something entirely new. And that was not initially the best method for me to take. I, again, I needed to, I needed to depend on my own preparation, depend on what I was very strong at at that point, and then open myself up to learning new things. And I think I just initially, I don't know why, I was, I was a bit confused at first how to handle this. Um, and I, but I, I went back, but again, the first year was tough. It was difficult for me. Yeah. And uh, I had to learn some things, but, but in the end, it was very good. And I love radio. I love journalism. And so it was great. And Roberta Jacina, what a legend um, she oh, still she is. is. And she is Amazing. still there. So yeah, it was, it was great to work with her and a great staff. Yeah, she she's just again. Those are two. I mean, I grew up with those two people and just love them dearly. And um, and you know, I I was I was one of them that 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 one day when Tom Jordan showed up on the radio because I listened to this I listened to the morning show religiously for a number of years. Maybe not so much the last few years because I don't have my morning commute anymore. But <laughs> but when I I mean, it, you guys were always on the radio and um and I, I remember when you came on, I thought, oh, he's got a good voice. Let's see how he does. But you've done great. I mean, I I, I really have. And um, you know you're at another transition point. Um, you're 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 looking at at another big thing. We won't go into. Um, I won't ask you questions and all of that um, at this point on it. Um, but you know, having said that, um, you know, part of what we've discussed is you know your desire to maybe move away from journalism to to other formats or other other you know other work. I mean, you've got a consulting organization now where you help people with communications and all of that. Um, you know, for a guy who's loved journalism your whole life, what's causing you to move away from that? Well, thank you for asking, Chris. Um, I am very excited for my next move. Um, it is, I, I am staying in Detroit and I am, I couldn't be happier with the direction I'm moving in. It's going to be another ch- challenge, but in a, such a positive way. And it is related to the field of journalism is going to allow what I believe for for conviction. I don't like the word opinion so much in these formats, but I really like the word conviction because to me, conviction carries the connotation of an opinion that is founded on, uh, you always say reams of data, but on factual realities. And it's something that is embedded deep within a person. And um, so I, I look at my next move as being a format where I can share convictions or what I believe is really the truth of what is going on in our community, uh, in our region of the country, in our country itself and in the world. And uh, I am, I am one that believes we should have a diverse set of opinions uh, or people with convictions to express why they believe the things they believe and, and speak with people who are actually in the mix. If you want to talk, say politics, mm-hmm. Who's working in the government right now? Why are they doing certain things? And why are some people refusing to talk about those things? And we, you, you mentioned that the change of journalism, why I left, is because I don't believe 
generally speaking, journalism is journalism anymore. It has become infiltrated with opinion. And I think most people know this. I think you could watch uh, a whole slew of newscasts and you can get, you know, some, some news outlets you can categorize in certain maybe left-leaning liberal categories. Other newscasts you, you put in the category of, of conservative. And then you have the fringe uh, groups out there. And I think the Internet has given rise to all sorts. Anybody can be a journalist nowadays. Yeah. Anybody. Yeah. And, and I remember back in, I think it was 2008. Yeah, I was covering Mitt Romney uh, on his campaign. He was running for president at the time, and I was covering him. I ran into a guy. He stopped me, and I was, I was on deadline. I was busy, but he stopped me. He had a camera and a microphone, and he kind of looked at me and said, Hi, uh, Tom Jordan, can I talk to you for a second? I'm sure. He goes, I'm a citizen journalist. Uh, what do you think of citizen journalism? And uh, that was not long after YouTube was even founded. And uh, I, I, I thought it was neat. I thought, yeah, it's good. You get to go out there and tell your story, your perspective, and put it on YouTube. And I never dreamed at that time the impact and the uh, influence that those types of citizen journalists would have on the entire industry. Mm-hmm. We now, as journalists, look to these social media platforms to find out what is going on. Remember, these are message boards. These are necessarily sources that we should depend on to to write a news story. These are highly opinionated, 140 characters. Well, they've doubled the character limit on Twitter, but there's still brief summaries of opinion that we are now basing stories, entire articles uh, and, and broadcast stories on so-and-so tweeted this, so-and-so tweeted that, and that's the story. And it's, it's in part what has, I think, decimated an industry. Most people nowadays, they, they kind of say, well, Tom, I don't know who to believe. Yeah. I don't know what to believe. Everyone's saying something different. What's really going on? And I couldn't stand it anymore. I, I thought, that well, you're right. We are not giving the proper context within the industry of journalism, the craft of journalism, and there used to be a price to pay. For that, if you got, if you didn't have a source that was legitimate, and we're finding that more and more. Washington Post just admitted yeah. a couple a couple uh, months after they wrote a very damaging news article on at that time a um, well that was President Trump, um, but it turned out to be completely inaccurate. The whole premise of the article was totally false, based on an unnamed source that lied. Yeah. That should be, in my day, which wasn't that long ago, by the way, I'm not that old yet, that would have been an easily fireable offense to a number of people in that newsroom. Nowadays, it's, oh, oops, sorry. Oops, sorry. And, and quite frankly, if they don't get caught for it, they're not going to self-investigate, I don't think, sometimes. And, and this happens on, this is not just one side or the other. This is happening, you know, both sides. I mean, you know, and, and it has made it hard for many of us to know what is the truth. And so, actually, what I'm hearing from you, which is really interesting, and so my thought is you're getting out of journalism, but it actually sounds like you're getting into journalism. Right, <laughs> that, that 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 if we if we look at a, at a pure definition of what journalism should be, an unbiased look at a set of situations. Let let you know we'll, we'll we'll listen to some opinions from different sides. Let the stories be told, but give as much fact, just straight up fact without slant as possible. And let let the audience decide for themselves. That sounds like the the direction's going. That sounds like journalism to me. 
Yeah, Chris, that's exactly, you nailed it. And I tell my friends or my former colleagues or whoever I'm speaking to that I say, you know, it's very ironic that I'm having to leave the news industry to go to what would be considered an opinion type show to actually get the truth out there or try to, to distill what's truthful. And that is, unfortunately, the reality. I'm not saying every news outlet is bad or they're, they're purposely lying. I don't think that's true. I think a lot of people do believe they're doing the right thing, but they're building what they believe is the right thing on a faulty premise. And we're no longer allowed in journalism to question the premise. The premise is, is key to understanding what is true out there. So we can build any argument on any premise that we manufacture or somebody has manufactured for us. But the, the premise now is not allowed to be questioned. And that to me was becoming so frustrating. I was not allowed. Well, I won't get into that, but I'll just say this that it is, it is critical for us as a country to be able to question people and their statements, especially if there is evidence out there that contradicts it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that evidence is any better than the evidence that you have, but we should be at least allowed to talk about it. So, yeah, I am going to uh, speak to uh, people on a variety of, of, of levels, uh, experts uh, in, in business, uh, experts in politics, you know, current political leaders, former current uh, former political leaders, um, and a whole slew of newsmakers t- to try to f- delineate, you know, what's the facts that are out there, the evidence that is out there, and try to come to some semblance of truth. Yeah, I think we owe it to our listeners, we owe it to our readers, our consumers, who are who just don't simply know what to believe. Yeah, and I, I love your point on the the need to be able to question because I, you know what, what I'm watching, and to me it's 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 sad and sometimes as much as sickening. I mean, you know that this concept they call it the cancel culture now it's gone you know some different different directions, but people can make an accusation. Sometimes it's well founded, but sometimes it's just from nowhere, and the person is guilty, and it's not even guilty till proven innocent. They're just guilty. It's just done. There's there's no questioning. There's no no trying to find out, trying to understand. And and in this lack of trying to find understanding, we are becoming more and more divert, uh, more and more um, divided. I, I saw an interview with Dr. Phil, and you know one of the comments he he made, which was I thought interesting. He said, "When it, when did it become so that we're no longer able to ask somebody or debate an issue, but instead we just have to hate each other?" That's all mm-hmm. it is. It's just now you have to pick a side, and once you pick that side, you must hate the other side. Well, how are we ever going to get beyond some of the issues we have if we can't talk about them, if we can't educate each other? You know, lack of education. I mean, how do I, I – I'm going to judge your perspective without understanding it. Maybe I'll still not agree with it later, but let's at least understand it, and through that understanding, we can find middle grounds. But without the ability to question and get there, that just – I don't know. I think it's a dangerous path for us. Yeah, we need to give people the benefit of the doubt that they do have good intentions. They might believe differently than we believe. But I think a lot of people believe what they believe out of, a, uh, I think, a higher ground of, of trying to do what's right. Yeah. They, they, now, I disagree with somebody. I, I might think, well, that person is a little bit deceived or doesn't understand or is a bit naive or whatever I might think. And then I would try to uh, educate them. And then they try to do the same thing with me. And that's okay. That is how we learn. You look at the founding of our country. There was a lot of division on some of the things that they were trying to uh, rectify, wrongs they're trying to rectify, make right. 
and tried to come up with some civilization that was fair to every individual that was out there. And they, dis- they disagreed on how to do that. But that eventually led to what we now know as the Constitution. Yeah. And the Constitution was born out of what they saw was another rising tide of oppression against uh, minority groups based on majority rule. And mm-hmm. so that kind of, they had to think, oh, how do we fix that? Because that's democracy, but how do we fix the, the loophole here that there's still going to be people that are oppressed? And that led to a brilliant, I, I believe, brilliant uh, document called the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, gosh, I, I, I wish we had more time. I, 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 we're going to have to have you back on. I, I love our conversations. It's always been good. There's so much more we can do. But before we, before we end it, I just want to take an extra minute because um, your consulting business, you help people out with communicating. I mean, and I think that in this world today where, again, things can go south so quickly, um, people don't always know how to handle what happens if somebody from the press calls me or, you know, how do I communicate something well? Can you give me just 30 seconds on what you're doing and how can somebody find you if they're interested in contacting you? Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so I, I founded a firm called the Jordan Group. We are a communications uh, firm, small firm. Um, it's TomJordanMedia.com. And what I essentially do is I teach people how to communicate to the media because it's a different animal out there. I let people know you've got to be very concise. You have to be well prepared. We help people prepare their messages and help them understand who they are or what are their 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 three main messaging categories, and then get it out there knowing this ahead of time that you will always be taken out of context in the news media. So how do you fight against that? Well, how do you better state what you believe in a manner that's going to be, yeah, you'll be taken out of context, but you'll still get your message across. And so we train people how to do that, help to steer them and even the media, help them to steer the media in the right direction so that truth ultimately is what's communicated in the end. Excellent. And so it's, it's T-O-M-J-O-R-D-A-N media, M-E-D-I-A dot com. Correct. So, yes. Perfect. Um, so they can look you up there. Obviously, if, if you want to track them down, you can always uh, get in contact with me as well. Uh, listener at transformativeexperts.com is, is the fastest way to, uh, to, to get an email to me, or you can always connect through the radio. So lots of places to, to get a hold of us. So if you're interested in meeting or talking to Tom, you know, track them down. Um, Tom, thank you so much for, uh, for being with me today. This, is, this has been outstanding. I love it, Chris, and, and you're great at what you do, and thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's been excellent. So, everyone, stay tuned. Have a great week. Uh, we'll be back next Monday, and um, until then, take care. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.